Well, last week um, we talked about the miracle of prayer. Uh, if you weren't here, the miracle of prayer is that God actually listens to us. That's the great miracle of prayer, that, that the God who made the whole world and everything that's in it and is so vast and so huge listens to us, people who are so small and so sinful and really not deserving of his attention, but because of the gospel, what Jesus has done for us in paying for our sins and reconciling us to God, the miracle of prayer is that God actually listens to us. Um, That's incredibly encouraging. It's it's encouraging for lots of people uh, throughout church history who have learned that lesson. Uh, One person was a, a woman named Amy Carmichael. She, was, uh, she first learned this lesson when she was a little girl. Uh, she was, lived in, uh, in Ireland in the 1800s. And, and one time her mom taught her that lesson, uh, that God listens to her prayers. And uh, she, she was very excited, just a little child. She ate that up. And, and so that night, uh, when she prayed, you know, believing this promise that God listened to her prayers, she asked God to give her blue eyes. Because she was this little brown-eyed Irish girl. And the standard of beauty was blue eyes, and she just desperately wanted to have blue eyes. And, and so with faith, like a child, because she was a child, she took that promise at face value, and she asked God to give her blue eyes, and so she went to bed that night. And she woke up the next morning, eagerly ran up to the mirror, looks at herself in the face, and, and sees she still has brown eyes. And she was disappointed. I mean, her, her, her faith was rocked. Her world was rocked. You know, Mom had said, that the Bible says, that God listens to my prayers, and he answers them, I've asked him for blue eyes, and now it didn't happen. Uh, and so she was disappointed. And, and I think that all of us can relate to that experience of disappointment. Maybe even this week you had an experience like that, where, where last week you know, we had these bold promises. God listens to us when we pray. And, and maybe that really encouraged you, and you prayed for something specific, and you didn't see it happen. Uh, and maybe it wasn't just this week, but throughout your life you've had that experience where you've you, you've, you've believed the promises of God, you've prayed in faith, and yet what you've prayed for hasn't come to pass. And so you're like little Amy, staring in the mirror, wondering what went wrong. Does God really answer our prayers? Uh, what, what do we do with that? Uh, what do we do with those times when it seems like God doesn't answer our prayers? Um, or to put it differently, what do we do with it when when we ask God for something and he doesn't give us what we want. That's what we're going to focus on today. We're not going to look at any one particular passage. We're going to bounce around the Bible a little bit. Um, But we're going to ask this question, why doesn't God always do what I want him to do? So we're holding these two messages together. Last week, this bold promise that God listens to us when we pray. Okay, but what do we do with those times when God doesn't give us what we ask for. Why doesn't God always do what I ask him to do? The first part of the answer where we have to start with that is just to say that that God doesn't always do what we ask him to do because he loves us. So point number one on your outline, if you're following along there, uh, God doesn't always do what we ask him to do because he loves us. That's not the whole answer, but we've got to start there. Because the basic truth is that God is our father. He's a perfect father, a perfect father who loves us. So if he's our father, then our job is to be the children. So we come to him. 
We come to with our requests. We don't filter them. We just come to them. We say, this is what I need. This is what I think I need. We just ask him for stuff. We ask him for blessing. His job is to be our perfect father, to evaluate what we really need, and to give us that. Okay? Th this whole message would be a lot easier if we all just had perfect fathers, but unfortunately none of us have, so we have to, to figure out, what, what does it mean for God to be a perfect father? Well, it means that he loves us, and he doesn't always say yes to us. Sometimes out of love, he'll say no, because we're asking for the wrong thing. Sometimes out of love, he'll say uh, yes. Uh, sometimes out of love, though, he'll say wait. Got a different plan. But because he's a good father, he doesn't always say yes. Now, why would a good father ever say no? My kids wonder that sometimes. Uh, and I'm not saying I always say no for the right reasons, but God, but God does. Uh, why would a good father ever say no? This is point number two for you. He, he would say no sometimes because he wants to give us true joy. So this is where we start. We ask this question, why doesn't God always give, it, give me what I ask of him? Well, he, do, he does that because he loves us and he wants to give us true joy. And, and the first area in which he wants to give us true joy is that he wants to give us the joy of God. Uh, what, what I mean by that is that God himself is the greatest thing that any of us can get. A, a relationship with God is the most important, the most precious, the most beautiful thing that any of us can get. But what happens in prayer sometimes is that we become more preoccupied with the gifts than with the giver. Okay? So what God will do sometimes is if we get too focused on the gifts, we're just asking God to give us gifts and not focusing on him, sometimes God will withhold the gifts from us in order to draw our attention back to him. Okay? Uh, we see this sort of behavior all the time, if you, if you look at kids, uh, just kids in general, if someone gives them gifts, you know, if a parent comes home from a trip or grandparents come over for a visit, kids will run up and, and a lot of times the first thing that you'll hear them say, what did you bring me? Right? What did you bring me? Uh, this is just kids, kids do this. Um, and, you know, we can laugh at it, but I mean, it's, it, it is really a, it's a mercenary thing. Uh, if it's taken too far, it becomes very ugly where the kids will just, the only reason that they want to see uh, a parent or, or a visitor is because that that person brings a gift. And if, that, if it gets that far, it's just, it's horrible. You don't want that. It'd be like if you had a friend that you hadn't seen for a long time, uh, they're visiting from Florida, and they show up and say, oh, it's just so good to see you. Say, yeah, it's good to see you too. Here, I brought you this t-shirt. And you take the t-shirt, and then you slam the door in your face. Because, well, I got what I wanted. I don't care about the relationship. I just want the, the gift. And that's what we do with God, where... You know, we'll keep an arm's length for a long time. We've got some need. We say, oh, it's time for me to renew this relationship with God. So, God, I'm going to pray to you for a while. And then God delivers by giving us the thing that we asked for, and we slam the door in his face saying, I got what I really wanted. I don't need you anymore. But God loves us enough to not let us, particip to not let us live in that behavior. He, he doesn't let us uh, just get away with loving the gifts more than the giver. So sometimes when we pray, a reason why he wouldn't say yes is because he wants to draw our attention back to him. That might be your situation. This isn't, isn't the only reason why God will say no. It might be your situation. And so one diagnostic question, I'm going to give you a few diagnostic questions today to try to figure out, is this my problem? Uh, one question that you can ask to see if this is your problem um, goes like this. Say, 
if I never get what I'm praying for right now, but I still have God, is that enough? Okay, so, so I'm sure all of us have something in our minds right now that, that either we are praying for or we should be praying for. Something that we desperately want God to come through with. Okay, and that's fine. My question to you is, if God were to never give that to you, but still you had a relationship with him, you still had him, would that be enough? If you can't say that, then that's a sign that you're probably valuing the gifts more than the giver. Because okay? you've got God. That's not enough for you. You want something else. That's a sign that you're valuing the gifts more than the giver. So that's the, the diagnostic question. If that's, if that's hitting home with you, I want to point to our first scripture today. It's in Psalm 37. If you've got a pew Bible, it's on page 381. So the Bible's in the pews in front of you. Psalm 37, verse 4. If you find yourself valuing the gifts more than the giver, the prescription for you can be found in Psalm 37, 4, and simply this, delight yourself in the Lord. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. That's a prescription. So if you're valuing the gifts more than the giver, if you're not delighting in God more than all things, then that tells me that you must not even know him. That, that you must not really value him for who he is. You know, if you have a dear close friend who shows up from Florida and they do happen to have a t-shirt in their hands, if you do really love them and care for them, there's no way you'd even consider taking the present from them and then slamming the door in their face. Right? Now, maybe if a salesperson walked up that you didn't know, and they say, I'm offering this free gift for you, uh, and you say, well, thank, I'll take the free gift, and then you shut the door. We'd do that, right? Because we don't care about the salesperson, because we don't know them. We don't have any value uh, attached to them, so spending time with them has no significance for us. But a friend, a dear, close friend, somebody you shared life with, someone that you know, and you, you've had time with them before and just been enriched with that relationship, you, you, you could care less if they brought a gift with them. You, you want them. You want to be with them. If you don't delight in someone, it's because you don't know them. And I'm telling you, if you get to know God, you will see that he is an infinite treasure, that he is better than any friend that we've ever had, that he, uh, that he is full of love for us, full of comfort. Even apart from the gifts that he gives, he himself is a treasure worth having. And then the amazing thing is that, that once we do that, some Psalm 37, verse 4, says you do that, you delight yourself in the Lord, then he will give you the desires of your heart. See, God's disposition towards us is one of blessing. He wants to bless us. He's a good father, a loving father. But he won't let you have things that will distract you from him. So delight yourself in the Lord first. Get your predisposition towards him to be satisfied in him, and then he gives you the desires of your heart. So if you find yourself not knowing God, if you say, I can't imagine delighting myself in God. How does it even happen? I don't, I don't know him. He's more like the salesperson at the door than the close friend. Here's some things that we can do to, to get to know God better. Uh, one of them would be to read the Bible. This is where he tells you about himself. It's a good way to get to know who he is. Another way would be what we're doing now, being in church. 
uh, talking with other people who know God well. Someone who's walked with God longer than you, has more experience with him. You say, well, what's he like? Tell me about his work in your life. Why do you delight in God? Uh, you can read good books. Um, you know, most of all, just meditate on the gospel. Meditate on the fact that God himself loved you so much that he gave himself to save you. That tells you something about this kind of God. So that's the first reason why God might not be answering our prayers. Because he wants us to have true joy in him. He loves you so much, he won't let you be distracted by gifts when God himself, the infinite treasure, is right before you. There's other reasons, though. Another reason why God might not be saying yes to your prayers right now is because he really wants to give us the joy of holiness. I'm talking about situations where sometimes God doesn't give us what we ask for because we're busy destroying ourselves with sin. This is tough love. You're familiar with that concept, this idea of tough love, that God won't give us what we need to destroy ourselves. Sometimes this is, uh, this is a situation where a request that we're making is directly related to a sin, where we're actually asking God to give us the stuff that we need to use to commit sin. So like if we're asking God, uh, Lord, would you please give me money so that I can feel more secure in myself? Or would you please give me money so I don't have to trust in you? Now, we might not be saying the underlying reason why we're asking for it, but, but it, it comes from sin. We're actually asking God to give us the resources that we need so that we can live a life of unfaith. Or if we're saying, uh, God, would you please give me a successful career so that people will like me? So they'll have some sort of significance? You know, we're asking for something, for God to give us a career so that we actually don't need to find our significance in him. Or we say, Lord, would you please give me smart kids so that everybody thinks that I'm pretty good? Would you, would you make it, my kids turn out right so that people think that I'm a good parent? Uh, that's us asking God for something, but we're asking for it from a wrong motive. Right, the passage I want you to turn to for this is in James. Again, in your pew Bibles, this is in page 813. But James chapter 4, it's in the New Testament. James chapter 4, <clears throat> verses 3 and 4. He says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What, what James is saying is that one of the reasons why we won't get what we ask for is if we're asking God to give us the resources that we need to go commit sin. He's saying, you're asking wrongly to spend it on your passions. And he calls them adulterous people. And this is the worst kind of adultery, where you're actually asking the person that you're cheating on to fund your adultery. You know, asking God to provide the resources that you need to go and commit sin against him is like going up to your wife and asking her for the money that you need to rent a hotel room to meet with your mistress. Of course God's not going to answer those prayers. Of course God's not going to say yes, giving us the resources that we need to sin against him. Because he loves us. Because he doesn't want us to be able to engage in that sort of destructive behavior. Okay? So that's, that's one area in which God 
uh, will say no because he cares about our holiness. But there's another one that's probably more prevalent. Uh, This is still under point number two here. But another way in which God cares about our holiness is that he will deny our requests when the request is only indirectly uh, affected by sin in our life. So this would be a situation where we might be asking for something good, something fine, that the request itself isn't bad, but there's a sin in our life that's unrelated to it that God wants to draw attention to. And so he'll focus our attention on it by saying no to this request. What would this look like? Let's say that you're, you're praying for your neighbor to come to church. Right? Good request. Good, let's all do that. All right? Praying for your neighbor to come to church. You pray all week. You're sincerely believing that God can do it. You're asking him. Uh, then you go up to your neighbor on Saturday and you say, hey, would you like to come to church with me on Sunday? And they say no. Okay, that should surprise us. It doesn't surprise us because we're cynical, but it should surprise us. You know, we've been praying that God would uh, work in our neighbor's heart, that as we ask them to come to church, that they would come. They say no. That should be surprising. And that should cause us to engage in a process of reflection. Why would God say no to this? So you can walk through what we've talked about so far. You say, well, am I delighting in the gift more than the giver? No, no, that's not this kind of gift. Uh, Am I asking them to come to church to satisfy some sort of sinful desire? No, that's not it. The next question you'd ask then in a situation like that is to say, is there some other sin in my life, just some general unconfessed sin that God's trying to draw attention to that might be hindering my prayers? Because there's a connection in the Bible between prayer, effectiveness of prayer, and sin in your life. If you just flip a few more pages to the right, over to the book of 1 Peter, so you're in James, flip a few more pages to the right in 1 Peter, You see one place where the Bible makes this connection between sin and effective prayer. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, he's talking about the way that husbands and wives live together. 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. We're not going to go into all what the whole verse means, but I want you to see this connection here. He's saying, husbands, honor your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Take care of them. Be be a good husband to your wife. And he says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So, So somehow there's a connection between the way that I am living towards Jen and the way I'm honoring her and the effectiveness of my prayer. And it's not just my prayers about her, but it's just a general effectiveness of prayer. There's just a connection. And it's not just about the way you live with your spouse. If you drop down a few verses to verse 12 in 1 Peter 3, he says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Okay, so there's the general connection somehow between sin in our lives and the effectiveness of our prayers. Now, why would God do this? Why would God do this? He does this because sin is destructive to us, and yet we try as hard as we can to ignore its presence in our lives. Sin, we have sin in our lives, but we're really, really good at pretending like we don't. 
Right? We're, we're, everybody is really good at justifying themselves, of justifying their own sin, of explaining away, well, it wasn't that bad, not that big a deal. I'm basically an okay person. I don't have a problem. We, we can just hide it and we say, I'm all right. But we're not. We're not. We go around every day hurting other people, sinning against God, engaging in destructive behavior, and yet we're blind to it. But God, because he loves us, uses things like unanswered prayer to force us to examine ourselves and repent of destructive behavior. Okay, is this making sense? I hope this is making sense. I know that what I'm, I'm really nervous here because I know what I'm saying can, can, can go the wrong way completely uh, and I, and I want to be really clear on this before we move on to another point. I, I, I know that you could hear this and you think, um, God will never listen to me unless I'm perfect. That, that's not what I'm saying. I, did, I, I said the opposite of that last week, and I'm continuing to say the opposite of that this week. It's not that God is waiting for you to be perfect before he'll listen to your prayers. It's that God loves you, and he wants to, over time, expose the sins in your life so that you will stop engaging in destructive behavior and experience the joy of holiness. This is the way that sanctification works. So God will identify a particular sin in your life. Say, I'm going to work on that now. We're going to focus on that for the next decade. And says, so right now, there's this thing that you desperately need, and I want to give it to you, but, but more than that, I want you to experience holiness. I want you to conquer that sin. So as, as you're praying to God, and you're asking him desperately for this thing, and it's not coming through, well, he's got your attention now, doesn't he? You start to ask, well, well what is it? Maybe, is there some sin in my life? And then you start to look, and you face the fact that there is something that you need to work on, because God loves you. So the diagnostic question for this one is just to ask, is there unconfessed sin in my life? If my prayers seem to be hindered, is there an unconfessed sin that might be hindering them? And we can use tools like the Ten Commandments. Read through the Ten Commandments. Start to ask, am I doing that one? Am I doing, Lord, are you putting your finger on this one? You can use tools like people who know you well. And ask them, is there some big log sticking out of my eye right now that I'm just missing, that God's working on? And the prescription for that, when you identify that, repent. Repent of it. And believe the gospel. You see, God loves you, and so sometimes he's going to say no to you because he wants you to know the joy of holiness. Number three, uh, another reason why God might be saying no to us or wait is, is that he wants to give us the joy of faith. You see, sometimes God's just waiting for you to believe in him. Uh, we're still in James here for this one. Flip back a couple pages, back to James chapter 1. I want to read a passage for you that is much abused. This is a very dangerous sermon I'm giving. I hope you realize that. Uh, <laughs> but we need to deal with these questions. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-mind, he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Okay, this passage and others like it are much abused. Much abused. I, I hope you've never heard this, but you've probably heard this, where someone will take a passage like this and they'll say, the reason why you are not seeing an answer to your prayer is because you don't have enough faith. Anybody ever heard that one? Yeah, I think so. People say, the reason you don't 
haven't answered your prayer here is because you don't have enough faith. If you had more faith, if you believed more strongly, if you never had a twinge of doubt in your mind, then God would be giving you the answer to your prayer. But he's not, so obviously there's a problem with you and your faith. It's not strong enough. Don't say that to people. Um, it's really horrible counsel. Because it doesn't really help them. And it uh, increases their load. Because now not, not only do they have a problem, but it's their fault uh, because it's th- their lack of faith is causing it. I mean, it's wrong. It's, it's just not true. It's not about how much faith you have. The issue is whether you have faith or not. Okay? It's, it's an either or. It's not, it, it, do I have enough faith? I've got a little bit of faith, but it's not quite enough. I need to have more faith. No, that's not it. It's not whether you have enough faith. It's whether you have faith or not. There's only two options here. James says there's a person who has faith and there's a person who's double-minded. Okay. Um, if you want, you can jump back to Hebrews chapter 11, just a few pages back to the left. These are all close together. I worked hard to make it easy for you. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. We get a definition of faith. What is faith? Uh, 11.6 in Hebrews. And without faith, it's impossible to please him, to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Okay, so there's, there's two parts here to this definition of faith. You have to believe that God exists and you have to believe that he rewards those who seek him. So, so, so faith is fundamentally a conviction about God. It's a, it's a conviction about God, who God is. First of all, that he exists. Secondly, that he has a character of love. You know, that he desires to bless those, you know, to reward those who seek him. Really what this is telling us is that it's, it's a shorthand for the gospel. To have faith is to believe the gospel, to believe that God exists, that we're separated from him, that in the person of Jesus Christ, he came to earth, he lived a perfect life for us, died an atoning death in our place, so, and rose from the dead, so that if we believe in him, we have our sins forgiven, we're reconciled to God, we, we, we get blessing from his as adopted children. Like this, this is the gospel. This is what we're supposed to believe. So if you have faith, you're, you're someone who believes the gospel. You believe that God exists and that he blesses those who seek him. It's, it's not complicated. It can be hard to do, but it's not a complicated thing. Believe God exists and that he loves you. All right, but James says there's other people who don't believe that. They're people who are, he calls, double-minded the double-minded person is the, is the classic fence-sitter. It's the waffler. It's like, well, maybe God exists. Then again, maybe he doesn't. M- maybe, maybe the gospel is true. Maybe Jesus does forgive me, and maybe God really does love me, but nah, maybe he doesn't. So such a person who doesn't really believe the gospel should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So there's two options. Either believe the gospel, have faith, God hears and answers your prayers, or you don't believe the gospel, you don't have faith, and God has no obligation to give you what you ask. The question is not whether you have enough faith, but whether you have faith in Jesus. Imagine two men standing next to a frozen lake. Uh, One guy is the double-minded guy. Stay on the side of the lake. He's like, well, it might hold me. Yeah, it might not. I mean, I, I think it's probably strong enough for me to 
step on, but maybe it isn't. So uh, maybe I'll step. Uh, no, nah, I'm, I'm not. You're just, you're just waffling. You're, you're not, not, and so he stays on the shore, right? You're double-minded, you stay on the shore because you're not sure if it's going to hold you, so you just stay back. Okay? Other person, person with faith. Let's even call it weak faith. Right? Person with weak faith. What do they do? They're on the shore. They think, I don't know if that ice is going to hold me, but I'm going to step out on it. And, so that, and not confidently, just kind of cautiously, you're inching out on the ice, you're sitting there, you're waiting for it, you're sure it's going to crack. I'm sure this is going to crack, I'm going to fall and get wet. Uh, it's probably not going to hold me, but I'm, I'm going to step out on it. You take another step, just waiting for those creaks, you know, for the ice to fall apart. But you're on the ice, and it's holding you. And it's not the size of your faith that's keeping you up. It's the reliability of the ice. So that's where people go wrong. They say, the problem is you don't have enough faith, as if the issue was the quality of your faith in God. The issue is the reliability of the God you have faith in. And whether you have small faith in a big God or big faith in a big God, God is still big. And he still has the faithfulness and the love for you to take care of you, to answer your prayers. So the diagnostic question is not, do I have enough faith, but do I have faith in Jesus? Do I believe God exists and that he loves me? Prescription is to believe the gospel. And to keep on believing it? Because God doesn't want us to just stay as these tentative people just cautiously stepping out in the ice. He wants us to be like the ice fisherman who, who like drives his car out into the center of the lake and then builds a house there and he's got his little furnace and he's just fishing, having a great time. He's enjoying it. He's loving it. It's a frozen lake. Let's party. You know, the ice skaters, they're going around. You know, God is faithful. He's, he's not going to crack. The ice isn't going to fall out. And so he wants us to have that joy of faith, that joy of just living by faith, attempting big things for God, seeing him come through. He loves us and he wants a relationship with us. So sometimes he'll say no to us to get us to believe the gospel. All right, fourth one. Why else might God say no to us? Well, he, he, he might say no or wait because he wants to give us the joy of better stories. See, sometimes we don't get what we want because we just don't have the best plans. We're asking for things that we think are good, but they're not. We think it would be the best possible story if things would work out according to the plan that I have, and so I ask God to work things according to that plan, and he doesn't. Because he's got a better story. You'll have to turn a little bit for this one. Matthew chapter 7, it's on page 653. Matthew 7, verse 9, Jesus is giving a teaching on prayer, explaining to people, thick-headed people like us, that God is good. And he says, Matthew 7, verse 9, Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven Give good things to those who ask him. See, here's the deal. God is good and wise. And, and, and if, if we're, uh, as, as sinful, uh, limited people, able to hear requests from our children and to give them good things instead of bad, 
How much more will God, who is good and perfect and wise, give good gifts to us, those who ask him? And, and the way it usually works, actually, we're not even asking God for a fish. Usually we're asking God for the snake. And he says, you don't want a snake. You want a fish. And we're asking God, Lord, would you please give me this stone? Because I think this stone's going to give me life. And if I just had this stone, then I'd be able to survive. You know, if I, Lord, would you give me that? Because I think that's going to satisfy me. God says, it's just a stone. There's no life and it's not going to satisfy. Here, have bread, have living water. You know, God's got a better plan for us. We don't even know what to ask for a lot of the time. And so we ask, we make our best attempts as children, but God knows what we need. And he gives it to us. Uh, the classic example here, biblically, is Joseph. And if you, if you want to read that story, I recommend it. It's in Genesis chapter 37 through the end of the book. Great story about a guy who's sold into slavery by his brothers, um, rises in the ranks, but then is falsely accused of rape, uh, gets thrown in jail, eventually ends up, though, as the second command of Egypt. It's a, it's a fantastic story about how this man who went through incredible circumstances that I'm sure he was praying to get out of, all along God had a better plan. And I encourage you to read that, but, but the one that really jumped out to me this week is in the person of Jesus himself. Uh, Jesus, of course, uh, there was never any reason for God to deny Jesus what he wanted. Uh, Jesus always valued God more than anything. Of course, Jesus never was asking for things to satisfy his sinful desires or had any unconfessed sin in his life that God might be hindering. Jesus lived with perfect faith in his Father. No reason why God would deny Jesus anything. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before uh, Jesus was going to die on the cross and bear the sins of the world, he was praying. And Jesus prayed, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup from me. So Jesus was faced with the agony of what was coming. He, he could see the cross, not just the physical pain, but the agony of bearing the sins of the world, and it was a heavy load. It did not look like the best plan. And he asked God the Father, if you're willing, would you please take this cup from me? And here's the thing that just floored me this week. God the Father said no to Jesus at one time, but he did. And Jesus said, Lord, don't, I don't want to do this. Is there any other way that, so I wouldn't have to bear the sin of the world? Is there any other way? If you're willing, would you please take this away? And God said no. God the Father said no to Jesus, which tells us that we're in good company. Right? It's, it, it's not always that there's some problem with you that God's not saying yes to what you're asking for. Sometimes he just has a better plan. He's got a better story. And Jesus, also in the Garden of Gethsemane, teaches how to respond when God says no, because he said, not my will, but yours be done. Submitting in faith to the darkness of the cross, and at the end of it came the dawn of the resurrection. So it might be where we are right now, you, me, just in that place where we, we ask those diagnostic questions. We say, I, I honestly can't think of other reasons why God might be saying no to this thing I'm asking for right now. And we're saying, Lord, if you're willing, would you please deliver us from this situation 
And that takes faith. But you just say, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, I believe that you are good. I believe that you're wise. We wait patiently. We trust God's goodness. And we pay attention. Because he's doing something. He's doing something. He's doing something good. Uh, Amy Carmichael, that little girl who prayed for blue eyes, she grew up to become a missionary. Uh, She went to India. And when she was there doing her evangelism, she realized that there were a number of young girls who were being uh, kidnapped or or sold into slavery, into the Hindu temples. Uh, Prostitution was involved. It was a horrific thing. And so she felt compelled to do something about it, but she couldn't just kind of go marching in there. She had to literally steal them away. It had to be covert. And so she would dye her skin with coffee to be darker like the, like the Indians. Uh, and she would wear the traditional dress. And she actually did. She would go into these temples and she would steal these young girls out of slavery and liberate them. But this would never have happened if she had blue eyes. It was, it was before colored contact lenses. She couldn't have done it. Blue eyes on an Indian woman would have stood out like a billboard saying something suspicious is going on here, but God had a plan for her. She never, as a four or five-year-old, could have imagined that the color of her eyes would have any lasting significance for her. And she had faith that God had a plan, and he did. And that might seem like a distant example. It might even seem like a trivial, trivial example to you. I want to commend to you guys, in this room, there are thousands of examples like this. Um, you know, I'm speaking to you today biblically. Say, I'm, I'm only 29 years old. I'm, I'm searching the Bible to figure out what is it that God has revealed to us in his word. There are people here who can also corroborate that and speak to you experientially about the ways that God has done this in their lives, that they have hit the brick wall, and and they couldn't figure out why it is that God was saying no. But now, 20, 30, 40 years later, they look back and they say, you you know, I thought it was evil, but God meant it for good, and it has turned out good, and I praise the God who's been faithful to me over these decades of my life. So I want to tell you, if you're at a point right now where you just can't see the light, and you feel like all there is is darkness and God is not hearing me, I want you to talk to somebody. Just start asking that question, how has God been good to you? Have you been surprised by God in your life? Can you, can you, can you help me here? Because I'm just feeling down. I'm feeling like he's never going to listen. See, guys, God loves you. I don't think I can say that enough. God loves you. He loves you. He loves you and he wants to give you true joy. He wants you to, to love him and enjoy him more than anything. He wants you to be holy and be free from the destructive effects of sin. He wants you to have true faith in him, experience that liberating uh, experience of just being that ice fisherman, out and just enjoying the ice, enjoying life as he provides for you. And he wants you to have the best story. So keep praying. Keep praying. God loves you, and if, if, he's, if he's not giving you what you ask for, you can be confident that he's giving you something better. Let's pray. Uh, Father, this is uh, a challenge and a comfort all in one. Lord, would you show us ways in which our own lives uh, we are missing what you have for us? Uh, that that if, if our prayers are not being answered the way that we ask, that, that we would 
look at our own lives, that we would dare to examine ourselves and repent of sin and, and really trust in you. Uh, at the same time, Lord, for, for those of us who are in that place where it's just that you've got a better plan and we don't see it, please bring us out of the darkness soon. Encourage us with the testimonies of your word and the testimonies of others and let us be, down the road, testimonies for those who have yet to come. Uh, that we could be examples to, to coming generations and say to them, the Lord has been faithful to me. In the midst of your dark time, he will be faithful to you. Father, strengthen us this week and please answer our prayers. Please respond and give us what we need and what is good. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.